1: Good morning. Welcome to Smart Companies KC. I'm Kelly Scanlon, publisher of Thinking Bigger Business Media. And today we have Anton Kotar, who is the founder of Anton's Tap Room and Restaurant in the Crossroads District. And our executive producer, Mary McKenna, and I were fortunate enough to go spend some time with Anton on a tour a couple of weeks ago. As you listen in, you'll see that this is much more than a restaurant.
0: And we pump this water into the floors from the compressors. It comes out of the compressor at about 85 or 90 degrees. That's what creates the heat in the building. My furnaces, I do have furnaces in the building. They're on a uh, timer. They shut off every night at 11 and when you walk back in here tomorrow morning, it'll be 80 degrees in this building wow. and it's January um, and last year it did the same. I believe that it's satisfying 60% of my heat needs in the building. My gas build here Almost 2 million BTUs of furnaces, kitchen equipment, and hot water tanks, 5,500 square feet, 8,000 customers with 765 bucks last
1: month. Okay, so $765, heat, 5,500 square feet. My bill for my house isn't much less than that. So you have found all different kinds of ways to conserve energy, to cut costs, to produce efficiencies, and to add to the add to the sustainability uh, with some of the different things you've put in place. Tell us about how your lights work in your restaurant.
0: Um, we just were approved uh, for the rebate through KCPL and l to change everything to LED. Uh, there's 486 light bulbs in the building, and um, we're going to change all those. Out. We, we're waiting on those to be delivered. And once they're changed, then I'm going to alter the globe. Some of the problems that we've seen with the LED... Is the color mm-hmm. and the um, the uh, the starkness of it that uh, it 's not conducive to restaurants and atmosphere
1: right the ambiance is too it 's too bright too
0: bright yeah. and too cold mm-hmm. um, it 's almost a blue white yes. um, and and it 's not something that people like to eat around blue is one of the colors that you try not to use in the restaurant business and if it comes in light it 's even worse so what what, what i 've done is' um, taken a bunch of the samples that i 've got from different uh, providers and and the manufacturers and I figured out a way to alter the globe that's on the exterior of the bulb to tone it down dramatically. Um the beauty of LED is the we uh we're gonna cut our our kilowatt usage down to twenty five percent of what mm-hmm. we're using right now. My single phase electric bill that my lighting runs on uh averages about seventeen hundred dollars a month. Um, I believe I can get that down to around $400 by changing the bulbs out. The other side of that is is that those bulbs have a 40,000-hour guarantee. Um, So that's three and a half years before I should have to change or pay for a bulb. And we've been there about 16 months now, and I've changed everything in the building at least twice.
1: With your current setup With the of current lighting. Setup, correct. Okay, so, mm-hmm. so it's going to pay for itself in no time.
0: In no and, time at all, right. And KCP&L, you know, luckily has a, a great program out there that do. allows people to apply uh, for these. Uh, if you want to change over, they do give rebates back. And in this, in this case, they're covering the cost of the light bulb for me.
1: Mm-hmm. And more, it sounds more, like. Sure. so So you have figured out a way to reduce your heating costs. Uh, you are switching over to the LED lights, and you're retaining the ambiance that people like in a restaurant with that. Now, tell us about some of the other things that you do uh, from a sustainability side, from a green side of things. You recycle water in your building, too, and in the summertime, you use it as fountains to add to the uh, aesthetics of the place. Tell us about how all that works.
0: Correct, correct. Um, the compressors that run the refrigeration, refrigeration is a must in the restaurant business. There were some compressors in a um, factory in Oklahoma that I was fortunate enough to get a call from a friend of mine who was doing the demolition on it after it had closed, so I purchased those from him. They were water-cooled. Um, the the uh, normal operation for those compressors would be to, to hook up city water to them, and when they kick on or turn on, the compressor would run cold water through it just like your car would, except that we now use our floor as the radiator. Mm-hmm. Um we we've, we've run PEX tubing in the floor which allows for the hot water to come out of the compressor it gets captured in a tank and then pumped through the floors the water comes out at about 85 to 90 degrees which keeps the concrete floors in the basement somewhere around 85 or 90 and it also dissipates the heat into the building which allows the water to go back to the compressors what we what we've done is able to cut our gas bill down um I believe that it satisfies about 60% of my natural gas needs in the building, mm-hmm. and um, the other side mm-hmm. of it is, is that the compressors would normally run about 120,000 gallons of water a month down the drain. Instead of doing that to a tune of uh, somewhere around 700,000, we now only use about 2,000 gallons of water um, because we capture it and treat it mm-hmm. in the basement in a tank. So. Right. It's a it's a very efficient system. Now in the in the summertime when we do not need the heat in the building, I'm able to shut the floors off, clean those out, and then we pump the water outside. And it right. um, there's a, about 600 linear feet of PVC pipe buried 40 inches deep underground, and that disperses the heat into the earth um, because the earth is a natural 55 to 60 degrees in this area. And uh, then it goes up on a wall uh, that we built back there out of old growth cedar and it acts as a cooling tower so it's a very efficient um fountain uh, and it it really sets an atmosphere and
1: uh oh, on your makes, patio on right. the patio itself mm-hmm. we
0: have a little beer garden back there we call it and um it's it's just a nice serene area.
1: You're in the restaurant business. Where do you come up with all these ideas?
0: Um my my background is construction at heart. So I've seen cooling towers be used all over the country in different applications, nuclear power, uh refineries, um, commercial buildings. Uh I, I do have a, a good friend, um an older gentleman, um, Bruce Smith, who is an H V A C guy. I always call him the BTU genius. If you need to move one degree somewhere across town, Bruce is the guy that knows how. Um and we we just sit around and collaborate and you know, enjoy pale ale from Boulevard now and then and say, okay, what can we do next here? And, um, you know, you, you you put someone together that has that type of mindset with someone like myself who mm-hmm. uh, I always say there's doers and say- sayers and uh, this is what we end up with, a very mm-hmm. efficient restaurant.
1: Besides the fact that, it it fascinates me that someone who's running a restaurant thinks like you it it also brings up when people start talking about being green and sustainability and recycling dollar signs start going off in their head oh that's going to be so expensive you hear businesses say we can't convert over but you're actually proving that by investing in some of these things it is saving you money it's it's creating efficiencies it's making you more profitable you have You're not not as dependent on outsiders for things. You actually have more control of your costs. And so it kind of debunks that myth that it's more expensive to introduce these kinds of processes into a business.
0: Yes, very much so. Um, I always say that the cost of doing the heating system in the floors was paid for in our first year of business. Which I opened in October. Right. So in two yeah. months, October able, of 2012.
1: Of 2012, mm-hmm.
0: correct. So I was able to recoup that cost in the first year. Yeah. Um, what I've saved over the next this next year, 2013. That's how I basically feed my own children. That's my paycheck. I figured out a way to get a to, to get a paycheck out of a restaurant that's one year old as mm-hmm. an owner, which is the. Uh, it's very abnormal I exactly
1: say. exactly it 's very rare, rare. so uh, mm-hmm. let 's talk about the restaurant too the you have your own butcher shop in there, and you you can carve all your meats. Tell us about that project sure,
0: um, one of the things that I was very um, interested in doing was a better source of of food, um, being a dad now you do you do think about it a lot more what your children are eating and what 's going on in the societies today and uh, I'm an advocate of trying to eat better and feed our kids better. I believe firmly that there's something going on in the food sources that's mm-hmm. causing a lot of the problems that our children are seeing today. Um, so I, 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 I've had a lot of people contact me and want to get into a uh, an anti-mode, an anti-corporate, an anti, you know, just to, to throw it out, maybe a Monsanto or something. I'm not anti-Monsanto. I believe that corporations have the right to do what they want. What I am anti is the fact that our local and state and federal representatives may not make them tell me that it's there. As a uh, parent, I want the, the right decision. to make the mm-hmm. decision what's best for me and my children and don't want anybody to hide that from me. So, unfortunately, I'm confident that they may not make that decision. If we if we were sure they would, we wouldn't have all these initiative on ballots for so long about labeling and, mm-hmm. and uh, things of that nature. So... My interest in this restaurant was to be sure that when our people from Missouri did not make the right call for parents, that I did not have to scamper quickly to find a a clean food source. So we decided to go into grass-fed beef, um, organic produce. Uh, All of our proteins are hormone-free, antibiotic-free. You know, it's just uh, one of those uh, do it now more than later,
1: Right, and and when you serve these, when tell us about how your menu works. I think that's kind of fascinating. When you order a steak in a lot of restaurants, you get a fourteen ounce sirloin or a, a strip steak, a fourteen ounce strip. You don't know if it's really fourteen ounces, but tell us how yours works.
0: Sure, uh, one of the things that I've that I've always noticed in in restaurants, in steak restaurants particularly. Um, the 16 ounce steak. If you go in and say, uh, for instance, like you just did, a 16 ounce T-bone, mm-hmm. they all look exactly alike. And I've had other people that work for me that were steak cutters in other restaurants, and they will tell you the same thing. They cut the one inch, the one inch, the one inch, one inch, and that's what you get. Um, in doing that, I realized that beef is like people. Uh, I'm 240 pounds. You would never really guess it. I don't want to say I'm not a little chubby guy, but <laughs> I'm a thicker person. Um, they always called it big bones when I was a kid. But, you know, some people swear that I'm not 240. I have to prove it every, every day almost. <laughs> so I realized that cattle are the same. This cow way more or being a little more muscular, uh, you know, fat and muscle to have different, uh, have different um, textures and, and weights to them. So one of the things that I wanted to do was to say to the public, look, if you come into the restaurant, we have minimums. And those minimums are really just set because of the equipment that we use to mm-hmm. cook that piece. And it's such a high temperature at over 1,600 degrees. If I allowed you to go smaller, it would completely tear that piece of meat up and it right. wouldn't be uh, acceptable to eat. So we wanted to set a minimum. But you can order your steak for any size after that. So we hand-cut that steak at that time. And you're welcome to come up and watch it happen. We have an open kitchen where the steak cutting is occurring and watch how we clean it and then how we handle it. Um, we also dry-age. Grass-fed beef uh, at heart is a little tougher. Mm-hmm. There's not as much marbling right. going on in it. so. Uh, but in the in dry aging process where you're breaking the beef down, um, breaking the proteins down that make the muscle tougher uh, over a period of time, our standard dry age date is 28 days. Um, we do some 42-day specials in the bone-in ribeye, and we do some 60-day prime rib also that are specials. Um, and it really does tenderize the meat. Dramatically, and the flavors enhanced dramatically. If you think about balsamic vinegar, for instance, mm-hmm. reduction to balsamic mm-hmm. vinegar uh, reduc- uh, you know, reduced balsamic is so much more uh, flavorful, and so is the beef. Um, Kansas City has always had a reputation of a great state town. Um, unfortunately, over the last 35 or 40 years, we haven't had anybody represented in the top 10 in America as the top. It's one of the top ten. It's been my intention from this so that when people come out of the hotels, these people that are coming, we're, we're driving tourism downtown now. Yes. When they get here, they have to leave happy. They can't come and say, well, I went to a steak town and got a terrible steak. Right. I've had better steak elsewhere. So to do that, you have to start, in my opinion, with a great, clean, nice piece of product, not tempered. Uh, with the hormones and antibiotics that uh, I believe changed the flavor. Corn, in my Mm -hmm. opinion, changes the flavor of beef. It's not the beef flavor. Um, So it was really important to start with a good piece handle it correctly, and just go back to basics. Everybody asked me about how did you figure this out, and I said I didn't. This went on 50 years ago here in right, Kansas City. Right. We just got away from it when we started mass-producing cattle.
1: So when you talk about this mass-producing, which is way a lot of this is done, as you say these days, where do you get this in? What are your sources?
0: Um uh, for the gra- for the grass fed beef, uh, about ninety eight percent of it comes from Raincrow Ranches out of Donovan, Missouri. Okay, so um, Rain Ogre- Crow is a is a mm-hmm. is a great grass fed provider. Um, they do a lot of grass fed beef. From what I understand, they may be the second largest in America at hmm. two hundred and fifty head a week. If you think of that, it seems like a whole lot of cattle.
1: It does, but it's probably not. You no, know, when
0: you get into um, Feedlot style cattle, or the you know, out in the middle of Dodge City, there's a factory out there that's running about fifty seven hundred a day. Oh wow! Um, it's a number that's staggering. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was fortunate enough this past summer to get a chance to go out and see it happening, and um, some friends of mine said, "Why would you? Why would you even consider going?" And I said, "I just have to make sure that what I think is accurate." Mm-hmm. Um, and they they pretty much proved it. It's yeah. there, you know. Uh, Thirty-four million uh, head will be harvested this year in America, and someone says around ninety percent will uh, go right through Kansas. Mm.
1: Um,
0: so they are moving them through there.
1: Well, what you're what what you're describing reminds me of the wine industry. You've got these big mass-produced. Uh, vintages and bottles and uh, you, then you have the small boutique wineries that might only do a few hundred cases a year but they, they are just ray, every single bottle practically as it's bottled, they know what goes into it, they know every, every step of the process and it's very controlled it reminds me of, of your story with the cattle there, so we're going to take a quick break, when we get back we're going to come back and talk about your tilapia farm
0: you're progressing in your career but at a pace that feels slow you're ready to make great strides and invest in yourself. With your work and home schedule, how do you accomplish this? The Executive MBA program at Benedictine College, Kansas City's only one-year Executive MBA program, is the answer. The competency gained and character built are outcomes that are of immediate and future value regardless of your future path. Go to benedictine.edu slash EMBA.
1: Welcome back to Smart Companies Radio. I'm Kelly Scanlon, publisher of Thinking Bigger Business Media, and we're visiting this morning with Anton Kotar, who is the owner of anton's taproom and restaurant in kansas city's crossroad district we've been talking about some of the real renaissance type things that you're doing with your restaurant with the way that you heat your building light your building the butcher shop that you have in there where you hand cut these grass-fed cuts of meat and you also have a tilapia farm in the basement tell us about that
0: uh correct it's um, they they call it aquaponics Mm -hmm. um we raise a lot of the herbs that we use down there through aquaponics. Uh, Aquaponics is different than hydroponics because the nutrients come from the waste from the fish. Uh, We do have tilapia in tanks down there. Mm -hmm. Uh, The tanks have been uh, approved by the Department of Conservation, which uh, the first time they saw them, I think, kind of concerned them a little bit or scared them. And and the health department itself Mm -hmm. was a little confused about it, but, um, fortunately, um, they're interested in helping Kansas City step up a little bit, and we're willing to allow us to try it. Um, so, what we've done is we we do breed tilapia on site, and um, you know raise them down there. We use those some of those tilapia in our fish tacos that you will eat. Right. Unlike commercial farms, we're not feeding hormones. We're not changing sex. Uh, tilapia is a mm-hmm. fish that the sex can be changed. And we're not interested in doing that. The tilapia eat um, ground-up uh, produce from the salad stations that we are prepping in the morning and a little bit of proteins that come out of the butcher shop in the evenings. Uh, so we throw some bones in once in a while, and it's a great protein mm-hmm. source for them that we peel those back off in the morning yeah. um, to get them off the water. So
1: I digress a little bit here, but why? Yeah. what would be the advantage of changing the sex of the tilapia? And you guys don't do it, but why would somebody well, um, want to do that?
0: Tilapia, What's the advantage? Uh, tilapia is a, is a mouth brooder. They lay eggs, uh, and they carry the eggs in their mouth, The female mm-hmm. does, until they're ready to hatch, which doesn't take long, three to five days. Wow. Um, <laughs> the, yeah, The problem is is that there's 400 to 500 eggs at a time, and... They get about half, male and female. Male grow to about a pound and a half in about a six month period. Females never do. They get okay. uh, they get about a half pound at best. Um, so they want to have all male in their sources, and mm-hmm. they don't want them breeding in the tanks amongst themselves. It sure. causes a uh, a lot of anxiety within within the, the group of them. Oh, so, I imagine! Um, they they do change the sex they, um, by using a male hormone i don 't think the hormone is something that I want to feed my little girl sure
1: sure so so you use the the fish, you use the tilapia in your tacos, you use it to um for your herb garden. Correct. And then you use, from your herb garden, you use that on your menu and, and to prepare your dishes. So you just have all this little, this little self-contained world right there in the sure, restaurant. Sure. It's really cool.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, we we try to uh, use as many of the herbs as we can. If you have a steak, you'll have chives uh, as a garnish on that steak in and, and the presentation of it. And they're all grown down in the basement. There's basil down there. There's oregano, rosemary, mint. Uh, I just planted some... Um, uh lavender that we're mm-hmm. going to make some ice creams with. Uh out back in the uh in the beer garden I do have blueberry, strawberry and raspberry bushes planted that we've used this summer. The uh, strawberries and raspberries came up pretty quickly and uh, we were able to use those in the bar menu uh and sure. some nice cocktails. Uh my pastry chef at the time um, use some of that in uh, desserts. Um, you know, again, it's it's about uh, transparency and where your food's coming from and what's in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we try to let the general public know that if they're eating it there, it's it's clean, and and I want them to see where it's coming from. If they want to come and see anything in there, we're willing to let them see that. So,
1: yes, and if you go down to the restrooms down there, you can see your herb garden. It's, it's right there for for anybody to to mm-hmm. see, even without a tour. So, people who are listening now might think you know this this is very rare it's an anomaly this isn't something that can really easily be replicated uh, The other question that i I have about this whole thing is when you're talking about a cattle ranch or farm that produces two hundred and fifty or sends 250 heads of cattle through a week versus these great big cattle farms out in Dodge City. And you think about the world hunger situation. Uh, One of the things that always comes up in these kinds of discussions is, well, if you don't have GMO, if you don't have the huge corporate farms, you're not going to be able to produce enough food to feed the world. What's your take on that argument,
0: at heart bah humbug i guess <laughs> um i you know the the uh, the days of the small farmer are, are numbered and it's unfortunate because they have fed the world forever and i still believe that they can um you know it's kind of uh the the big corporate farmers they do it for a lot cheaper the smaller farmer can't stay in the game and then they end up uh you know getting rid of the farm the family farm and there's laws in place that make the family farm almost detrimental. Um, you know, the farmer passes away and tries to pass it on and
1: state taxes. The state taxes mm-hmm. and
0: everything else. These guys want nothing to do with it and they're not corporate you know, conglomerates. They right. can't stay away from the taxing burdens mm-hmm. and uh you know, there's things in place that make it uh, you get paid to produce corn and sell it for a cheaper uh cheaper than cost um scenario right. uh, than what it costs you to raise that corn and um, you know that's it's detrimental to capitalism and this, the small farmer in America. You know they've been the heroes. We needed them forever, and now they're getting cast aside, and it's a shame. It really is.
1: You are a, a contractor. You're in construction uh, as your as your background. You've also been in the restaurant business prior to Anton's. Uh, you you were uh, one of the founders when you were partnering Grinders. Are you how, where did you learn how to cook though how did how did you transition from being a contractor and and develop this interest in owning restaurants
0: um growing up as a kid one of 10 children the oldest male of 10 uh, <laughs> you my, wanted to cook or <laughs> eat you cooked for yourself you huh? had to pretty much yeah i mean my father did all the cooking he worked in a steel mill every day Came home. You know, of course, when you think about it, you think, wonder why his mother didn't cook. But keep in mind, there were 15 loads of laundry to do. Sure. also And I don't know if you ever tried to do 15 a day. It's a no. full-time job. Plus, with 10 kids, there was 20 straight years of pregnancy. Mm-hmm. And when you're cooking for a family of 12, and then my grandmother and grandfather moved in with us in their older years, um, you know, the, if you had spaghetti dinner that night, it was 12 and a half pounds of spaghetti with 30 gallons of water. And, you know, you couldn't expect a, a pregnant woman to, to pick that up either. Right. So, and my dad did it. He he just, he, my brothers are cooked. They like to cook a lot. You know, they cook at their homes. And, um, uh, you know, I, I've always liked restaurant life and I've been single for so long that I think that uh, I, I, I consider myself a foodie. And when I'm in other cities, I want to know what they're doing and what they're eating and uh, you know, try to get to the most, the, the trendiest spots, let's see mm-hmm. what's going on there, and uh, it's just, it's just always been a, a great interest. Um,
1: so do you think that you are a restaurateur who's interested in green, or are you a green fanatic or zealot who just
0: happens to own a restaurant? Where do you think you fall there? Um, that right down the middle, mm-hmm. 50-50. I, um. You know, I I like the restaurant business. I like concepting restaurants. I like the idea. I believe that if you're going to succeed in the restaurant business as an independent, you've got to bring us something different than Golden Arches.
1: Yeah, Um, definitely. uh, But
0: I do uh, practice green at home. Uh, My lights in my loft in the River Market are LED bulbs. Um, My kids at home, they eat um, sustainable products. We buy Organic produces, and, um, you know, I we recycle what's there at the house and, um, you know, throw the, the food scraps into the backyard for the grass and, you know, don't pay chem lawn. And sorry to point out chem lawn, but that's what comes to mind, and to put chemicals on it. Um, mm-hmm. You know, one of the things that I'm interested potentially in doing in the future is a food brokering um, there's a lot of lot of food companies out there. The big boys that the, they don't want this to go this way. Um, of
1: course not. But, no. re, but
0: restaurants are uh, trying. There's some around town that are, you know, they're doing they're doing the best they can. They get uh, some uh, a local provider for chicken, but they're stuck with a flour that's terrible for you. So mm-hmm. they would like to fry that chicken, or you know, uh, fry something for you or make something, but they don't have the accessories to go with that chicken. We can find chickens and beef and pork that are clean finding the uh, the side dishes uh, and the accessories that, mm-hmm. that we need to produce right. those are tough.
1: So so do you see yourself, you, you, you talked about being a food broker, do you see the future as, as perhaps being an ambassador of this message? Uh, do you see your roles being out? Or consulting to the restaurant industry on how you can uh, create these restaurants that are self-contained more or less the way yours is and make a go of it? Is that where you see
0: sure your, uh,
1: yourself heading?
0: Yes, very much so. I think that, um, you know, the bigger, better mousetrap, is, mm-hmm. it's proven. It, it's it's operating and it's working. Um, it, we've been open about 16 months, and uh, anybody that wants to see my utility bills, uh, they're welcome to them. And uh, I can show you the cost that it took to get it in, and um, I, w- I, I would definitely consider that and, and uh, help others. I think mm-hmm. as restaurateurs, we're the, one of the biggest um, – Providers of waste, uh, we also compost all of our trash i 've got my trash down to less than four yards a week, leaving that building. The rest of it 's composted by Missouri organic. We ripple glass we put the cans out on the on the alley for the uh, for the uh, the locals that are walking around and needing some assistance. So,
1: yeah, You have a wonderful story, Anton, and he gives a wonderful tour, and you must go down and try his steaks. They're wonderful. Thank you for being here today.
0: Thank you for having me.
1: And if you'd like to learn how to grow your business, visit us at www.ithinkbigger.com, follow us on Facebook at Thinking Bigger Business Media, or follow us on Twitter at I Think Bigger. Have a great weekend. We'll see you next week.